morning. I was uh, wondering if today, being one of those wonderful three-day holidays again, we would have anyone come. So it's nice to see you here with us this morning as we come to worship. Uh, this morning, the, the topic is a little different for me because normally I kind of like to just start off with Scripture and, and allow that to speak to us only because with Scripture you're pretty safe. Uh, it says what it says and we either allow it to guide us and lead us and direct us and touch our lives or we don't. And then that's between us and God. And so it's really not just an opinion of anyone. But today I've chosen a topic, discernment. And I think partially the reason for that is in our church, since I've been here, I've heard that word dropped in various committees quite often, saying we've got to discern the will of God. We have to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. Um, I, um, we had 47, I think it was, uh, people in our home on Friday evening, most of them being our youth. And um, at that time, Melanie was sharing her testimony about her burden for the Philippines and how God has guided and directed her. And what she basically was continuing to share about was the issue of discerning the will of God for her life. At different steps, at different stages, God had guided her thinking and her understanding and her direction. And it was a, a very encouraging thing, I think, for all present to understand that discernment doesn't always mean that in one fell swoop we get the whole program put out before us. It's a process of daily experience. Uh, yesterday we had a, a meeting with some of the West Coast Baptist Association leadership and we were discussing some various matters dealing with the churches in Canada. And one of the individuals that was there pointed out that if he was in America, he would do it this way. But in Canada, in order to be sure that we don't uh, have too great a conflict with the government, we have to be a little bit more sensitive on this topic or on that topic. And again, it was an issue of me hearing the word in my mind jumping around saying a discernment, discernment, deciding and defining discernment. This last year, I was very privileged with our church to have the opportunity to go to Germany with a mission trip. Uh, we went to minister to uh, Mandarin congregations or student groups in various parts of Germany. We went to uh, about five different cities. We went into these small cities and they would have a group of anywhere from 20 people to 40 people. And it was a bunch of students primarily once, and many of them who had uh, graduated, you know, 10 years ago. And so they, they have now immigrated or living in Germany long term. But these people were gathering together to worship and to grow and to have Bible study. And as we would go to these various places, we would uh, sing and we would pray and we would preach and have opportunity to have fellowship with them because they really don't have that many uh, Mandarin-speaking people coming into their circle. So it was a, a very uh, encouraging time to feel like you were doing something of value, to be uh, an encourager to others. And it was all, as, even as it was an encouragement to us. Well, as we visited these various cities, I thought it was fascinating because I kept going back in my own mind to the Protestant Reformation some 500 years ago. 
and kept thinking about, we went to Magdeburg, I thought about certain things. We went to Wittenberg, I thought about other things. Leipzig, these various locations. But I will have to confess to you, the place that probably stuck out the most in my mind was Wittenberg. And that is, if you'll remember, <coughs> in your understanding of church history, back in exactly 500 years ago, toward the end of this year, there was something called the 95 Theses that Martin Luther uh, presented. Now, there are those who talk about how it was put on a particular church door and all of this, and whether it was actually on that door or not, still the 95 Theses existed 500 years ago. And when Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk, made that presentation to the Catholic Church, it was not because he said to himself, gee, I think I'm going to go out and start a reformation. Or I'm going to start a revolution. That was not his goal. He was simply saying, some of the actions of the Catholic Church do not represent Bible first. His understanding was, the Word of God is more important and is higher than councils, the Pope, or anything else. The Word of God has to have that level of authority in one's life. So he put this 95 Theses up, and it, it was very much a, 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 <coughs> a, a, um, an indication of, of displeasure and dissatisfaction with what his religious experience had brought him. And yet, he was a monk, actively involved in leadership. Well, within about four years of that, the Pope, having gotten full awareness of this, demanded that Martin Luther come to a particular city for a, a council and to come and to talk with them, which he proceeded to do. And I wanted to share with you a few of the things that came about as a result of this because it has to do with discernment. This is a man who discerned that what was being done, even in the name of religion, was incorrect. He was saying the Bible is correct, but man is somehow out there trying to place himself in a position above it. And I must do something. But again, not trying to start a revolution, but just saying, let's do something. Let's get something corrected. He, along with Erasmus, uh, Melanchthon, several other major leaders, and of course you get off into people like uh, Wycliffe and Knox and Zingley and numerous church historians that also had strong views on this. But it started with Catholics. It started within their own church. Now, you and I need to appreciate something. And that is that up until that time, truly the Catholic Church represented 99% of the world's understanding of what Christendom was. So if it were not for people like Martin Luther, we wouldn't be here today. These were people who were saying religion in and of itself is inadequate. You and I need to think that way too. We need to understand that it's not our religion that saves us. Your eternal life is not based on 
I attend church on Sunday morning. Your eternal life is based on your relationship with Jesus. And mine is as well. And so, as we look at Martin Luther, I want to go ahead and tell you that when he went in 1521 to this council to meet with the Pope, he had some things to say. He, he proved that his conviction of faith is more than just his preferences. And I think that's something we need to pay attention to. Just because we want the church to function in a certain way, or we want the Bible to be interpreted in a certain way, we cannot change what it really says. If it challenges us to be something or to do something differently than what we want it to do, the problem is ours, not the Bible. And that was what he was saying. The Catholic Church, he was saying, religion cannot come up with definitions on this. We must allow our own preferences to take a secondary role in favor of what conviction and faith says. He says, unless I am convicted by Scripture and accompanying plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Luther's basic beliefs, the Bible, not the Pope or the Catholic Church, was the authority for life. The question you and I have to listen to, as we even hear what he says, is whether or not God and the Holy Spirit truly give us that same conviction. The Bible is the authority for my life. Salvation comes from faith, not deeds. Indulgences, another major problem within the Catholic Church. At that time, you were, people were paying money, giving gifts to the church financially with the hope that it would buy people out of purgatory, buy people's place out because the Catholic Church had this belief that after a person died, they would go to purgatory and you had to get them out of there. But if you could give the church more money, they would allow those people to be released. And he said, this is wrong. Now, there's something we have to understand about Martin Luther, and I think it's something we have to understand about ourselves. Very basically, it's saying that discernment, that means the making of a clarification for ourselves of what is right and wrong, what is true and false, what is good and bad, what is healthy and what is unhealthy. Discernment plus actions, decision-making, equals consequences. The point is discernment is different than decision-making. Decision-making is the second step. You can make a decision, but if you haven't discerned carefully first, your decision probably is not going to be extremely wise. He dared to discern that the Catholic Church had problems, and then he took action. He made a decision. I am no longer going to put up with people who do not treat the Word of God correctly. I will not put up with this indulgence idea of buying people out of purgatory. I will not put up with the church saying it has more authority than the Word of God. So he dared to step forward. But when he did it and he made that decision, he put that 95 theses out saying, this is what I believe. This is what I believe is true. He knew consequences were coming. And the result was he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Now, for you or me, 
I don't know how you would feel, but for him to be kicked out of the Catholic Church at that time, I've tried to grasp what that would be like. Because it wasn't like he was thrown out of the Baptist Church and now have to go find another church. He was thrown out of the only church. He was no longer in God's graces. He was no longer with his friends that he had grown up with. He was no longer able to function as a monk within his circle. Everything, all of his foundations were taken away from him. There was a high consequence to his discernment and his decision. Yet for you and I, without Martin Luther and these other individuals, you and I would not be sitting here today. It was the courage of discernment and decision-making that allows us to freely worship today. Not as religious followers, but as followers of Jesus. As ones that have an intimate walk with Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We're not here just trying to do proper things to gain the praise of God. We're here because we have a relationship with Him and it's natural for us to want to serve Him. If we ever reach a point, personally or as a church, that we are only doing things that are religious or required, then God deserves to be able to come to us and to challenge us for what we are. Indeed, we should welcome that if it would bring us back to that walk with Him, that intimacy of fellowship with Jesus. That's what He was hungry for. He was saying the religion of His day was not meeting the need. So for Him, even though He lost everything, He gained everything. He was set free, but He was free to have to establish Himself in a totally new way as he tried to determine how do I go and where do I go from here. Discernment plus action and decision changed our Christian world. Now, we could talk about discernment on a personal level, but this was a discernment decision that has impacted 500 years of history. It impacts us today. It impacts your friends. It impacts the evangelism that Pastor Stephen was talking about. Because we have a different value, a different goal with our, with our lives. Scriptural challenge. A few scriptures that we have. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. Wanting to give some of these for general uh, discernment comments. It teaches Christians to be discerning. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from, evil for, uh, from every form of evil. John, 1 John 4, 1. John's warning says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, discernment being encouraged of us. We cannot function as naive Christians. Matthew 10, 16 is an encouragement, challenge, and warning, as well as a blessing. Matthew 10, 16, it says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, 
Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues, in the religious places. It means religious people may be frustrated if you are truly following the Bible first and God's leadership for your life if it actually challenges just the traditions and the customs that exist. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when, you, when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And in verse 22, it says, You may be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I'm here today to be a cheerleader. I want to be a cheerleader to you, a cheerleader to me to say, our Christian faith is not a game. It never was. Our Christian faith is the most serious thing we could ever have. But it should also be a joyous faith. Because we have something that the world is looking for. Purpose and meaning. Fulfillment. Relationship with the Creator God. Do you find joy and excitement in that? I hope so. I think that's exactly what Luther was crying out for. Something relevant. Something applicable to his life. As we look at a definition today of discernment, spiritual discernment, uh, there are a couple of words, diacrino and anacrino in the, the, uh, the, the Koinea Greek that deal with these particular words, but basically the definitions are very similar and tied together. One is to say you separate for examination or investigation. To discern is to separate an idea and examine it, investigate it. And the other one says that you judge closely what is being considered. And so these words are words designed specifically to help us to understand that which is healthy and true and accurate. In Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, it's sometimes been kind of misread and misunderstood. That's the scripture where it says, Judge not lest you be judged. And so people consume, or continue often to assume that that meaning is, oh, then I can't really evaluate others. I mean, after all, who am I to look at others? Really, the Scripture there is not saying that we're to try to, find the, the, to be critical of other people and find their weaknesses, but it's simply to say, recognize that in the lives of others, you also will see weaknesses. Don't spend your time trying to see all of their weaknesses because you've got weaknesses too. Uh, I have a good friend of mine in Los Angeles that he and I have gotten off into this. He's a pastor of a church called Mosaic. And um, he's gotten off, he, he, he and I have talked many times about the issue of the changing of our society. This particular guy, he's got a position that I've never heard of other than with him. It's called a futurist. And he's always looking to what's coming down the, the pike in society and in the environment. But one of his great concerns is that the church is becoming too reactionary and not proactive enough. That we don't go ahead and look at the realities of what are out there, what's out there now and try to determine what do we have to do to be in front of the next movement. As we look at so many changes in the morality of our society, 
as he and I have <coughs> spent a lot of time looking at how uh, various kinds of media are impacting the lives and thinking of our young people. How do we get them to be aware that the media is controlling what they think and what they value? How do we help them to understand that they too have to be much like Luther, know what they believe, and stand strong? Relevancy and application. Discernmentship or discernment doesn't mean intolerance toward other people. Discernment does mean that we've developed the ability to make discriminating judgments. Now, the word judgment is not judging people as much as it is recognizing the decision making and approach those people have going on within their lives. It's based on our understanding of what God desires for us. The discernment is not what I want. The discernment is what does God want. On any subject, knowing the discerned stance is fine. But the real question is, what do we do with what we know? It's good for you to say, you know, I can see in that situation such and such. But the real question is, now what are you going to do about it? See, one of the things that I taught in Hong Kong for many years was practical theology. I was never a teacher of preaching. But I did teach practical theology, and then that was one of our main issues always. Is what do you do with what you know? How is it going to influence your ministry as a church? Are you going to be a church that has all ministry that says, come and visit us, we welcome you here, or are we going to be a church that goes out and impacts people with our daily lives? Do people in your workplace know of your faith? Are they aware of your walk? That's part of our challenge as we look at who we are. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14 talks about milk and meat. We all know that scripture. It says that those who are less mature tend to focus in on eating or drinking milk. But those who can eat meat, spiritual meat, are less. There are just not as many of them. But it doesn't mean that shouldn't be our goal. Our goal is to grow up is to mature, to be capable of eating the meat and being able to swallow it in order that we truly can eat and eat well. It says in in verse uh, 13 and 14, it says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Discernment always brings us back to the kingdom of God. Discernment will help to guide us back to His values above our own. That has to be our task. It has to be our goal. And today, I just want to be again that cheerleader that says, hang in there. It's not always easy, but we've got to be the one. Because if you and I are not truly salt and light... And I'm not just talking about theoretical salt and light saying, come to our church and join our Bible study. But if we don't go out into our society and when we see something that is wrong, if we don't stand up and clarify, nobody will. Nobody's going to do it. Now, is it risky? We've already said. Martin Luther paid it all. We don't even have a clue what it's like to be kicked out of our job, 
our life, our faith. I mean, think about what it was like. This man, all he had done his entire life was focused to become a monk within the Catholic Church. And suddenly he's hearing the Catholic Church is totally off base. I'm out of here. Now where do I go? We have to recognize that there is a price to be paid if we are going to change our world in His name. Discernment is not about our feelings alone. It's about our service to the Lord. A second thing we look at is the urgency of discernment for Christians in our day. Decisions are interlocked, integrated into our environment, faith, and personal spiritual walk. This past week, I had an opportunity, actually it was two weeks ago now, had an opportunity to meet a friend of mine that I've known for many, many years. He's a very, very dedicated Christian. Uh, he's originally from Hong Kong, lives in China, but uh, was over here. He's also a Canadian citizen. And we met and we were just talking about his current situation. And he was sharing how he and his son have been trying to, to work through some family, personal matters. We'll call it that. We've already said that our society and our environment does impact our, our thinking. And his son is a part of this. His son is in his uh, mid-twenties. But the son has discerned that marriage is no longer relevant. Now, his son will still tell you, oh, I am a follower of Christ. I am a Christian. But his son has determined that marriage is just a piece of paper. It really doesn't matter. So he and his girlfriend have been together for six years. Now, if you talk to the father, you get a different discernment. The father and I were talking about his discerning of the situation. He said, obviously, my discernment and my wife's is quite different. We have looked at the situation and we would say that if Jesus took time to go to a marriage, went to a marriage feast, that apparently Jesus somehow thought marriage was okay. And, and you know, so the father and I were talking, he said, I cannot agree with where my son is on this, but my wife and I just don't know what to do. Because if we are too direct, too strong, too clear, what will be the response of our son? We feel that he would probably cut us off. Nobody said that discernment is easy. And nobody says that all of us will exactly discern the exact same way on every topic. I can't judge you. You can't judge me. But we certainly need to be asking ourselves, what would God say when He looks at the situation? When He evaluates what we choose to do? You know, some biblical examples I want us to work through, but I want to start off with the one that's the most it just seems to always come to me, is Job. And Job someone everybody in this room knows who he is. We know what he went through in the sense of our academic knowledge of it. We know that he started off with everything. Job had all the resources he could ever dream of. 
He might could have competed with Donald Trump financially. Hopefully not in character. We won't go there. But the point is, Job had it all. And then we also know what happened. Job lost it all. Children dying, all of his property gone, his position in society, his friends looking at him with great question as to whether he even had a proper relationship with God. How did Job discern to hang in there? See, I think one of the biggest issues of the definition of discernment is to say, hanging in there with God. Simple. Simple definition. Hang in there with God through no matter what comes. Not easy. Some of us have health issues that come to our family. Some of us have financial issues that come to our family. Some of us have relationship issues where even our children bring us great stress. So, how do we hang in there with God through it all? Job did so. Discernment of Job. Amazing. Remain faithful to God? I have no idea how he did. It would have been such a temptation to listen to his buddies. You know, his buddies came around and they all gave him their words of wisdom. Hey, you know, just go ahead and admit that you're, you're really, you, it's your sin. It's your problem. It was because of you. It would have been very easy for him to surrender and say, you know, I just want to, I'm going to curse God and die. Even his wife got frustrated to that point. Intensity of his situation tells us that our issues are nothing for you and me as when we compare to what Job went through. I want to give you some practical issues that we deal with. What motivates my coming to worship on Sunday? Can you discern? Can you look in your heart and ask yourself, why do I come here? Is Sunday school or a life group, is that time well spent? Why do I go or why do I not go? Is there something we may need to reevaluate? Why we choose to go or not go? Is it maybe I'd rather go out to the restaurant to eat? How do I define marriage? You know, we yesterday we got off into a wild discussion. We started off with some issues dealing with the, the global movement toward uh, transsexual things and homosexual things and all this kind of thing. Finally, we backed up and said, okay, well, let's just deal with the definition of marriage today. Well, I just got through telling you my friend's son is struggling with a definition of marriage problem. And his is not dealing with any of those particular matters. He just has basically assumed, I guess that maybe his son has watched too many Big Bang Theory programs. You know, we didn't even think about it. Big Bang Theory, really funny, ha ha. I could blame Big Bang Theory, but you know, the truth is, one of my favorite programs as an old guy is MASH. Now, MASH was done years ago. And yet, if you watch MASH, it has some of the same sexual innuendo and action being going on amongst the people there. 
What is marriage? How do we define it? At what point does life begin? If the church does not challenge ourselves on this one, who will? Now, we know that our society says, no problem. You can always abort a child. Now, I don't know how they would ever deal with Elizabeth when the baby jumped inside of her. It doesn't say the fetal mass jumped when Jesus' name was mentioned. Can, can people or can a person lose their salvation? Can you say, once I was a Christian, I am no longer? How do we discern that theology? Do we dare to come together with other Christians and try to work through an understanding of what the Bible teaches? Not easy. There are many things like this. Materialism, euthanasia, Drugs and drinking. There are all of these things that are poured at us daily on television and from within our society, giving us one perspective. And yet discernment says to us, especially as Christians, I've got to decide what is right and wrong based on what God wants for me. And I can say to you, it's not easy. Think about some of the people that dealt with discernment. Stephen. We know Stephen's story in Acts. Stephen stood up, but the result was Stephen was killed. Think about John the Baptist goes out and is preaching everywhere, telling people about Christ. He was killed. There are many others that we could look at. Today I want to quickly go into point number three. Discernment principles to consider. If we had much more time, I would spend time camping on this one. But I will say to you very frankly... There is no perfect list. There is no perfect, but these are some things that hopefully will help to challenge you and remind you that we do have to consider some things when we talk about discernment. And everyone in here is a person that has to deal and function with discernment. One of my concerns is that so often, instead of learning to discern and think as we're going, as we're walking each and every day and getting into various circumstances, we tend to want model answers. We tend to want to know, well, what do I do in this circumstance? What do I do in this circumstance? And the problem is, many of the circumstances you're going to hit today, I may not hit ever. We're all walking a path of needed discernment. A.W. Tozer, a theological uh, giant in many ways, pastor for, for about 35 years, 40 years, he said, among the gifts of the Spirit, scarcely one is greater, practic uh, greater practically useful uh, than the gift of discernment. This gift should be highly valued and frankly sought uh, as being uh, almost indispensable to, in these critical times. This gift will enable us to distinguish the chaff from the wheat and to divide the manifestations of the flesh from the operations of the Spirit. The gift of discernment. The ability to function... As we look at the gift, the list, number one, prayer. Prayer for discernment. Uh, if we're willing to ask, wait and listen. Discernment can keep us from not just guessing what God's will is. It will give us clarity for what God wants. Matthew 6, 9-13 goes clearly into talking about the will of God. 
If we pray and we ask for His will, He will give us His values and His morals and His goals. But they will probably conflict with what our society is saying around us. The question is, again, once you get the knowledge, once you've discerned what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is truth, and what is not truth, what will you do with what you know? See, you're going to have pressure from your friends. You're going to have pressure from your family and everyone to sort of basically continue to guide you down the path of our world. While the challenge is to say, if you've prayed and asked for God's will and He's clarified, do you have the courage and the strength? That's what we all have to ask ourselves. Prayer is number one. Number two, don't trust on your emotions alone. Don't trust on your heart alone. Jeremiah 17, 9-10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. The emphasis is to remind us how we feel is not always an adequate judge for truth. We can certainly look to Judas and know that he felt that money and materialism was going to be his answer for life as he betrayed Christ. But we also know that Judas ultimately regretted that mistake. Another one, a third one, find mentors and counselors of good Christian reputation. Who is your mentor? Who is the person you trust? Who is the person that will always guide you back to Christ? We all have mentors. Choose well. That's all this is saying. Choose well. Not just because a person's got a PhD or is an extremely smart person in all things. Ask yourselves, does that person walk with Jesus? A fourth one. Stay in the Word for guidance. Studying about the Bible, studying nice Christian books, nothing wrong with those things. But the most valuable book you'll ever study is the Word of God. If we want to know His standard, we go direct to the source. You know, it was only at about 1962 and 3 when the Catholics had one of their big meetings that they first allowed the laymen of their church to begin to read the Scripture directly because their view up until that point was basically... If you want to know the Bible, come to the church and the Catholic priest will give you the information. Fortunately, as Protestants, that's not been our view. Again, I'm so thankful for Martin Luther and Zwingli and many others. The Word of God, nothing replaces Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for divine, uh, for doctrine and reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that a man of God may be perfect through the furnishings unto all good works. Our dependency on Scripture. Number five, push yourself to learn and grow outside of your box. Luke 19, 1-10, we saw Zacchaeus. We saw what Jesus did. We saw that Christ 
dared to relate to a tax collector. You and I can find great comfort, great security with other Christians. We support each other. We encourage, and that's great. But we need to push ourselves outside of our box to be with those non-Christians who need Christ and remember that we're here for a purpose. And our purpose is not for our head to grow bigger and bigger and bigger with greater knowledge. Our goal is to grow knowledge in order that our lifestyle, that our care will flow out into a world that needs Jesus. Let us pray that we are that kind of person. Father God, we thank You that discernment, discernment is a, a gift. At the same time, Father, we recognize that we all have to learn to discern each and every day. We pray that You would give us Your eyes. Give us Your heart. Give us Your vision. Father, help us to find joy in discernment. Help us to, to see the challenges that come our way each and every day in our workplace, with our friends, with people we don't even know. But help us to find that as an opportunity for being salt and light and being an encouragement in the name of Jesus. Because we know so many people around us have no purpose, have no direction, have no discernment. Father, help us to be of strength, even knowing that discernment will result in actions and those actions will have consequences. But help us to know the greatest consequence is that we're faithful to You. In Jesus' name.